You know, it doesn't matter where you live in this world. That name remains the same. That name, Jesus. I'm sure that a bunch of you are just like me. When there have been times in your life when circumstances came your way that you did not understand. And you didn't know how to fix. You didn't know how to stop that name would rise up in your spirit just to speak his name, Jesus, Jesus. Standing where you would stand in the middle of whatever is going on, a baby with fever, can't seem to break it, news that's come that there's been devastation of some type or another, even in a relationship. On and on and on and on and on it can go in our human experience down here. But the cry of the child of God so often is just a one-word prayer, Jesus. Speaking it to him, but also speaking that name over your children over your loved ones, over your business, over your work, just Jesus, Jesus. It's not always when bad news comes. Sometimes it's when good news comes. He knows how to thrill us. He knows how to, as we say sometimes, he knows how to blow your hat in a creek, you know. He knows how to bless. And that word rises up, that name rises up, Jesus. Jesus. You know, we have so many points that can be division within the body of Christ today. But there is in that one name the unity that we need to find. Nobody else died on the cross for our sins. Nobody else was raised from the dead to prove that we're forgiven. Nobody else is coming out of heaven back down to get us and take us home but Jesus. Just Jesus, just Jesus. I want you to find your way and your copy of the Word of God this morning. First to the book of Ephesians, because we're going to look there at um, the spot that we, we just didn't quite exhaust last week, and I don't think that we ever can, really. In Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to hold your place there, but then I'm I'm going to ask you to find another spot with me in the Old Testament. It, that, that phrase, that phrase that can capture your spiritual imagination if you let it, where Paul is praying for the Ephesians, and as he prays for those Christians, he's given us understanding as to how we can pray for each other or how we can even pray for ourselves. You'll see where, where he says in verse 15, Ephesians 1, verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and having heard of your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And then here is his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, may be flooded with light so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? That he may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of these things. Here is a statement. And I want to see if this can't be proven out by our time together. And I hope that it will be something that will be a great encouragement and hope no matter what you may be standing in the middle of or facing right now, here, here's the statement. You've got to see something and feel something 
before you will be and do anything out of the ordinary. Okay, let me read that to you again, speak that to you again for your consideration. You've got to see something and feel something before you will be and do anything beyond the ordinary, anything exceptional. What drives you for more, to do more, stretch further, reach higher, is that you have seen something about the more and the higher and the further. And as a result of what you have seen, you feel something called motivation, called courage, called incentive, whatever the word might be, called boldness. But as a result of what you've seen and what you're feeling, you now are being and doing something that isn't normal, <laughs> something that isn't ordinary, something that is exceptional. The spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of God. Go with me just briefly to the book of 1 Samuel. And we step back into the life of this, this young man, this shepherd boy named David. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Goliath, the nine and a half foot tall giant, has made his appearance, has terrified the, the Israel's men of war. They're paralyzed. They don't know what to do. They're doing nothing. And then David comes. David shows up, a shepherd. But he comes, he hears what Goliath is saying, and there's something that goes off inside this young man's heart and life. Saul, the king, calls him and begins to talk to him. And, and, and David is saying, I'll fight the giant. But Saul is trying to talk him, talk him out of it. Look at verse 34. This is 1 Samuel 17, 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him and by his beard and, and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said, good luck, basically. You go. You do what you feel like you're supposed to do. So in verse 40, he, David, took his stick in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down or remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. <laughs> then it happened when the Philistine rose and came near and drew near to David to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it struck the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. 
Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. David saw something, and David felt something. And as a result of what he saw and felt, he became something, and he did something that was absolutely extraordinary. What if there truly is an operative spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of God operating today whereby the Lord can show you, can reveal to you something about who He is and who you are. And as a result of what He shows you, you start feeling something. You start sensing an emotion of courage and confidence and a future and a hope and all of the things necessary to fulfill a dream rising up inside you. And it is a function of the working of the Holy Spirit of the resurrected Christ opening your eyes, giving you a heart heart to see, and then the result of that being an emotion or a series of emotions rising up, causing you, enabling you, to do something you never have done before, to become a person you have never been before. But you are that person, and you are doing those things because of the work of the resurrected Spirit of Jesus operating in your life. And I love this part, too. David in Psalm 16 gives the sense, gives the reason as to why there would be Such a sense of courage in his life. He fought many battles. He stood against many enemies. He had to endure lots of suffering in his life. Psalm 16 is one place where it is mentioned, but in 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 Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he references David, and he references this specific statement out of Psalm 16, and here's what it says. David is speaking. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. For he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. The reason that David was able to do what David did is because he had a sense of an awareness of the Lord being with him. And as he was confident that the Lord was with him in the setting before Goliath, he felt that it was the Lord putting within his heart the ability to take on Goliath just like he had had to take on the lion and the bear who was attacking the sheep. He saw, he beheld, he sensed the Lord's presence. Not just a thought about the Lord, not a memory about the Lord way back yonder, or a hope that somewhere out there in the future I'm going to one day see him. David said, I was beholding the Lord where? In my presence. I wasn't in heaven. I hadn't gone there yet. I was beholding the Lord in my presence. Paul writes in this way. I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying for you, my brothers and sisters in Jesus, that the Lord will give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Where the veil is parted, the curtain is lifted, the lights come on, and you can see him for who he is and know him where he is, and that is where you are, he is. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. True of David, true in the latter years of the Apostle Paul. We've looked at this verse several times, but I I want you to just know it's in your copy of the Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last letter that Paul writes, last book that that is put in our Bibles by, by his writing before he's martyred. Look at what this says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 16. At my first defense... No one supported me, but all deserted me. 
may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, hear of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear of the love and mercy of Christ on the cross and the power of his ability to forgive sins proven by the resurrection, all of those truths in the message of Christ and that the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That remarkable statement, folks, that remarkable statement. But the Lord stood with me. Everybody humanly had abandoned him, had left him for whatever reason. But he said, the Lord stood with me. Now, what did he mean by that? Did he mean he was imagining? He was hoping? He was thinking, well, surely God is everywhere, so the, surely the Lord is here with me? I'm going to say to you, every one of those categories work to negate the impact and the power of these words. And as it impacts these words, it can impact what we would expect and could, could hope for from the Lord by his spirit. Paul is saying, it wasn't just the imagination that the Lord was with me. Some way, somehow, the eyes of his heart saw the Lord, saw the Lord standing right there with him. And as a result of the Lord standing there with him, he felt something. What did he feel? He felt the Lord strengthening him. He felt the Lord enabling him. Though everybody had abandoned him, though he was in a, in a foreign, difficult, hostile environment, but the Lord stood with me. I'm telling you, folks, that's not just for the Apostle Paul. That's not just for young David. That's for you. That's for you. That's for you as a child of God, as a receiver of Jesus into your heart and one who is saying, Lord, I'm willing to pray this prayer. I want this to be true in my life. I need for you to reveal to me your presence, to reveal to me what you want me to do. And that as you let me see something, I'm asking you to let me feel something. Folks, I don't know where in the world we think we, we give ourselves so much credit. And, and in the church, in Christians, if I can just know what to do, then that's all I really need. Just shoot me in the right direction. I'll get that. No, we don't. We get fired up in a church service and everybody's saying, I'm going to surrender all and follow the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. That lasts about as long as the sound of the music. And when it comes down to it, you're going to do and I'm going to do what I want to do. And if my want to gets bigger than what I ought to, my want to is going to win the day and yours will too. The sooner we come to grips with that, the more we're going to realize the encouragement that there is in a passage like this. Paul is saying, it's not about you having more information. It's about having you, you're having more impartation. It's about you by the Spirit getting more transformation so that my will is lost in His will. So that as, as Ezekiel would write, there's a day coming when I will write my law across your hearts by my Spirit. You won't just be holding books and tablets of the law or scrolls of the law. There's a day coming when I will, by my Spirit, write my law across your heart so that from your heart you will obey me. From your heart you will believe me. From your heart you will love me. Paul writes, I'm praying that God will give you God will grant. Where is it going to come from, this spirit of wisdom and revelation, this understanding of who he is and 
where he is and what he would have me do. Where is that going to come from? He doesn't say, do you, you read all the verses on surrender. You read all the verses on obedience. You all read all the verses on the Great Commission and how God wants to reach the world. He doesn't say that. He says, if you're going to get this, God is going to have to give it to you. God's going to have to grant it to you. You'll say, well, I, you know, I thought, I thought all that happened when I got saved, that, that, that you know, I'm gonna, I don't need to pray for any more of the Spirit to fill me because, because I, I just, that, that all happened when I got saved. Well, if that was true, how come Paul writes this to the letter, to the, to the, to the Ephesians? If the Ephesians had gotten everything they were going to get and all they would need the Spirit to show them at the time of their conversion, why is Paul writing this? He's writing this to believers washed in the blood, being changed by the power of the Spirit inside them, but he's saying to them, there is more the Spirit of God wants to show you. It's more than just knowing that you've been forgiven. It's more than just knowing that that your, your, your heart needs to believe the Lord and obey the Lord. There are some things because the Lord knows you can't get this on your own. You can't do this on your own that I need to give it to you. So Paul's praying, Lord, grant them, give to them your spirit of wisdom and revelation in the true knowledge of you. And then he goes on to to explain what's he talking about. What does he mean by that? He says, first of all, that the eyes of our hearts would be flooded with light, that we would know what is the hope of our calling. The hope of our calling. The hope of our calling. Sometimes we get that all mixed up. I found the Lord. I found the Lord. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. How's a dead person, and that's what Paul says we are, dead in our trespasses and sins. How can a person spiritually dead find anything? It can't. It has to be the Lord who somehow, somewhere, David, David, it may be down the corridor of all kinds of junk going on in a life and all kinds of darkness and, and mess-ups happening around. But when the Lord, the same Lord, who stepped out on nothing and said to the atoms and the molecules, let there be light, and the universe turned on, that same one who spoke to inanimate, unable to respond, except they were given the ability to respond in the way that He had commanded, if that same one calls your name, you hear it and you respond. And so many of you would be able to say, he found me when I wasn't even looking for him. He found me in the very place where I was the farthest from him. But he called my name in a way that I could understand there was a joy. Everything didn't come clear immediately, but there came to be a season in your life where things began to change the seismic plates that you'd been stepping on and walking in began to shift. And you began to realize that there is something more. And oh God, may it be something better than what I have walked in and lived with before. And sure enough, it was his mercy. And sure enough, it was the real Jesus, not the religious Jesus who has no power, who just gives rules and just gives patterns and forms, but the real Jesus who steps into a life with his arms wide open and his heart full of love, and he changed you by the power of his love, not by a whole new set of rules. Paul prays, Lord, I'm asking you to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation True knowledge, you flood the eyes of their heart with light so that they will know what is the hope of your calling. You call them, Lord. You call them and what you have called them to. Folks, listen, if you don't quit hearing the calling to dope and alcohol and living like a tomcat and chasing everything, if you don't hear a different calling on your life, then you'll keep going back to the stuff that has destroyed. Now, that's just one segment. We could broaden it. Failure, loser. But if some way or another, you keep hearing to the voice of your spirit, I chose you because I loved you. I picked you out because I wanted you. My blood has been poured out for you so that you could be free from darkness, free from Satan, free to follow me. 
Paul is saying, Lord, let them keep hearing the sound of your calling. Let them keep hearing the sound of your calling. Out of darkness and into your marvelous light, First Peter says, that we may proclaim the excellencies, the glories of the one who called us out of darkness. Darkness is understand, in understanding. Darkness in the world is a result of choices. Whatever it would be, he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Paul is saying the spirit of wisdom and revelation working to flood your heart with light will continually be reinforcing and speaking again God's calling of you. He knew what he got when he got you and me. He, he, he knew we were a mess. He knew we were eating up with selfishness. He knew and he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew everything. But still, he called you. And the result of his calling is a walk in lightness, the likeness of his brightness and his glory. Let them know what is the hope of their calling. Lord, I pray right now, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray against the lives of Satan for many in the body of Christ who would be listening to this today, and they have been hearing a megaphone shouting into their ears. You won't last. You, you can't do this. God really doesn't love you or know you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, just as the Apostle Paul prayed here, that you will cause the hope of your calling to ring fresh and loud and clear, and truth will dispel the error. Light will dispel the darkness that I am, O oh Lord, may we begin to say, I am what you call me. I'm headed where you're calling me to. I do, do not belong to darkness anymore. Therefore, if any person, any man or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Lord, I confess, I declare, I'm a new creation by your calling of me. The old things have passed away. New things have come. Brother, sister, if you heard that and that prayer was for you and aimed at you, will you just receive it, let it in? That's what Paul's talking about. Lord, would you cause the eyes of their heart to be flooded with light so that they will hear again, they will know again the hope of your calling, the hope of, I, don't, I didn't call myself. I wasn't saying, God, God, where are you, God? I may have said that, but it was only after it began to work in me that he was calling me to him. Any residue, any residue of a sign of spiritual life had to come from him first. And what he starts, he finishes. Now, one, I need to move on here. Y'all are slowing me down. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so rich. It's just so full of hope. It's just so full of life that, that it isn't anything about what we got to do. It's all about what he desires to do. And Paul expresses that in the way he prays it. Lord, would you, would you grant to them your spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge? Would you cause, would you cause their, the eyes of their heart to be flooded with light would you let them hear and keep hearing what is the hope of your calling or the riches of your inheritance in the saints? I want to just show you one amazing short section out of the book of the Revelation. Last book in your Bible, Revelation chapter 7. This, this is a family. These are our people. These are our people. Many of them are already on the other side. Many of them are already living out this that is being described in the vision that John has of heaven. This is Revelation 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God 
who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. A throng too great to be calculated, a throng too great to be numbered from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Folks, you, you, you are not just some little blip on some celestial screen. Your name is known in heaven. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. But beyond that, you are a part of a great throng. And every member of that throng in the presence of the Lord is there because Jesus the Christ, through his blood, won them, snatched them away from the clutches of Satan. By virtue of the resurrection, his resurrection, it was proof that he had paid successfully for our sins with his death on the cross. If he had not accomplished forgiveness for this throng, for this vast multitude, for you, for me, Jesus would not have been raised from the dead. But Romans chapter 4 verse 25 said, says he was delivered up for our transgressions, but he was raised because of our justification. That means that God looked down and saw the death of his son Jesus, who in his body had carried our sins on the tree to the, to the cross. And when Jesus died, was in the grave for three days. The wages of sin is death. Spiritual law. Satan knows the law. Satan understands it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no covering for sin. But then on the third day, on the third day, when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was publicly seen and visibly known, it was proof that Satan had lost his power to without question, without, without any serious challenge, control the human race because Jesus had died to pay the price for the sins of the world. And those who would choose Jesus, not religion, but would choose Jesus the Christ of Nazareth as their means by which they would be forgiven, receive Jesus into their hearts as Savior and Lord. Satan's ability to own you, to dictate to you, to steal from you, is lost by the power of Jesus the Christ. Now back to Ephesians 1, if you would. We would know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance and the saints. You're a part of that number. The Father inherited through the work of Jesus on the cross that innumerable multitude of blood bought, blood washed in Jesus' blood. Children, children of God now. Then he goes on to say that the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light that you may know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. The surpassing greatness of his power toward us. And then he begins to list those aspects of this power. Look at, we skip down to verse 20. Look at verse 20. Which he brought about, the power which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul saw it as a major part of his responsibility of informing the church, of teaching the church regarding the absolute 
uniqueness of Jesus the Christ. That there is no other name like his name. There is no other position higher than his position. This is a, this is a treatment from the scripture of encouragement to the church that started in the first century and has worked all of these 20 centuries since then. It has been a constant. It has been a stable. It, it has been something that is fixed. It can't be changed regardless of what was going on in the various centuries since it was written. Kings will come. Emperors will come. Calamities of various sites will come. Sizes will come. On and on, nations will rise and fall. But, but here is what Paul was led of the Spirit to say. This Jesus, this Jesus has been given a position by the Father that is greater than any earthly position that could ever be conceived or established. Greater than any spiritual authority that could ever be conceived or established. His name representing his person is so great and so inclusive and so eternal that everything has been placed underneath his feet. There may be a king, there may be a president, there may be a judge, there may be a nation that seems to have, at least in the moment, universal kind of control. Paul is writing to say, down through the centuries, led by the Spirit, church, don't ever lose this. Church, don't make no mistake. Hold this steady. Everything that has a name is under the name of Jesus. All things have been placed under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Christ. Okay? You got that? Now, let me show, let me show you. That wasn't the only thing. He, he, wasn't just, he wasn't just running, chasing a tangent and, and never to pick it back up again. Would you find Philippians 2? I want to show you a couple other places where the same theme. You, you, we got to know what kind of Jesus, who, who we're talking about, who we're referencing. This is in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians. Find Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 15. And he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, by Jesus. Not God in general. Jesus Christ in particular was the creation of the, was the creator of the universe. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's your Jesus. Paul keeps hammering that. That's your Jesus. The power, the power expressed in Christ, expressed by God in Christ to raise him from the dead when Satan wanted to keep him dead. Satan wanted it not to be that the law had been satisfied and that you and I could be forgiven. He wanted Jesus to stay in the grave. But turn a page, Colossians chapter 2. Listen to this. Verse 13. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Look at verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What was Jesus taking to the cross? What is the certificate of decrees? It is the listing of specific sins that you and I have been guilty of even before we were ever born. God put on Jesus the sins of all of us. And when he carried 
our sins and his body on the tree. He was there to die in advance in payment for your sins and my sins. Why? Because he was mad at you? Why? Because he didn't think you'd ever amount to anything if he did it? Why? Because you think he just he was just it was just something he ought to do just to try to show that he's he's kind. No, he did it because you are worth the purchase of his death and his blood. He found in you a treasure. He sees in you a treasure. And he's determined to protect and carry your fulfillment and what, what he wants to do with you through to its completion. So he went to the cross, and this is what he said. He, he, that what was nailed to the cross as Jesus' body was nailed to the cross were the specific line item sins that you and I have been guilty of. Well, as if we were sometimes, can I surprise the Lord? You know, if I hadn't told him about what I did, you know, maybe he won't hold it. He knows it. He knows it. In fact, he knows it so well that this would teach us that Jesus died on the cross for it before we had ever committed it. There are no surprises with him. When he knocks on the door of your heart and he wants to come into your life, it's not that somewhere down the line there's going to be some new something that's going to spook him away. He knows you from the top of your head to your toenails and everywhere in between. And still he loves you. Still he's came. He's come to rescue and to save those who are lost. Amen. But then look at this. He took it, he took the certificate of decrees that were hostile against us out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And then verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having, having triumphed over them through him. What was the public display? You know, Bible students have, have wondered about that. What was the public display? Where it was, it was in your face to the devil and the demons. What was the public display that he had triumphed over them? I want to submit to you, it was when Jesus was raised from the dead. He died in payment for the sins of the world. But when he was raised from the dead, it was proof that he had satisfied the law of God with regard to those sins. Satan is the perfect legalist. He knows what the laws are. And this must have terrified him. It must have shocked him when Jesus came out of the grave, came forth from the grave, having triumphed over Satan by virtue of having died on the cross for your sins and mine, which means legally Satan has no authority over you as someone who has received Christ as Savior and Lord. Now you need to know this. If you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have no defense against Satan. He can have his way with you. He can lie to you. He can steal from you, on and on. But it is those who have embraced, as best we can, what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we recognize, my debt is paid, devil. You don't own me anymore. You're still a liar. You're still a thief. But I don't have to listen to you anymore. Who do I listen to? The one who has called me. And in that calling, there's hope that I'm free from the bondage of the enemy. I'm free from the contamination of the flesh and the temptations of the things that have been destroying my life. I'm free in Jesus. I'm free in Jesus. Because his power, his power, his power has set me free. Now, folks, listen. I can stand up here and stomp and spit and sweat and talk to you about freedom, freedom in Jesus. But listen, if it doesn't drop 18 inches, it's as if you hadn't even experienced it. That's what the Spirit does. That's the work of the Spirit. That's why Paul's praying. Lord, make it by your Spirit real to them. How they have been called. Show them the power and the resurrection of Jesus. Show them what that means to them and for them. Show them, Lord, what that means when it says that he has, Jesus has been raised and seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Show them in their hearts and in their spirits what it means that even though it looks like things in a temporal fashion are not under the control of Jesus, would you open their eyes and cause them to see that everything physical, every ruler alive today holding offices in various forms, every last one of them are temporary. 
And every last one of them will one day bow the knee to Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Show them that. Show them that. Do you hear me saying this again? I can stomp. I can holler. I can say, look at it in your book. But if the Lord by his spirit doesn't open your eyes to see the depth of this, see the reality of this, see the application of it to you personally, it can be as if here's this treasure in the word of God, but it stays on a shelf and it has no application. But when this works in your heart and you're realizing that he has called you, that you are a part of a great family of, of believers and lovers in Jesus, many in heaven right now, and that you are the direct recipient of the power of God to set you free, of the power of the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ, and by the power of his resurrection, you have been set free and are in a place of freedom as an adopted child of God. All right? Now, folks, that's the, Paul just works that over, and he'll come back to it again and again. Jesus, it's Jesus it's the great name of Jesus. It's the exalted position of Jesus. He is your Savior. Get your eyes on Him. But will you just get ready to have your hat be blown in the creek? Will you just get ready for that right now? Turn a page. Chapter 3. Chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This prayer. The first one is about, Lord, show them your power toward them. Show them by your spirit the power of your calling. Your calling of them out of darkness into light. Show them your power of what it meant for Jesus to be raised from the dead. Meaning that he was raised from the dead because he had accomplished their forgiveness. Lord, show them that. Show them, Lord, give, them, give their eyes, give them eyes to see that even though there are earthly rulers and national alliances and so forth, all of that has been placed under the feet of Jesus. That he is the one Far above, far above all rule and authority and power. Show them that, Lord, that that's who you are, that that's who you are. It's as if he's saying the Spirit has to do that in order for it to really settle in. But then now he, he shifts. This is verse 14, chapter 3. For this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, has their origin, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, according to all the power, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the shift. Chapter 1 prayer is about the power toward us. The power of Christ's deliverance of us on the cross, putting our trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. The power toward us expressed in the life of the one who has been raised and given the name that's above every other name. But now, instead of it being, it being about the power toward us, he starts talking about the power in us. The power in us. It is this Christ, the exalted Christ, the one who made a public show of Satan by his victory over sin and his setting of us free. This Jesus Christ who has the name above forever the name, this Jesus Christ who is seated in the heavens far above all rule and authority, this Jesus Christ's desire is for you and I as his people to know his abiding presence within us. Not, uh, to say that puts some folks to sleep. I know that. I know. No, you don't. No, we don't. If we knew, if we saw it, we would feel something. And as a result of feeling something, we would be something different and we would do things differently if we truly understood that the exalted 
Christ was dwelling within our hearts, Paul says, by faith. Oh, preacher, I know that. I got that. No, you didn't get all of it. No, you didn't. Why would Paul be writing this to the Christian? Why would Paul be writing this to the Christian? If we got everything we're supposed to get the time we got saved. Paul is praying for the Spirit of Jesus to do further than just convicting of sin. He's the only one who convicts. And causing there to be saving faith raised up in our hearts. Only the Spirit can do that. But here, Paul is praying, Lord, I'm praying, I'm asking you to cause there to be such a demonstration of your spirit in their inner man, in the deepest part of them, in their spirits, that they would come to know that Jesus Christ is there with them. The word to abide means to live in, to dwell in, not to visit and then leave, not to be an occasional inhabitant. Lord, I'm praying that they'll wake up knowing that Jesus is at hand, Jesus is close, Jesus is here, that they'll live throughout the day with the sense of your presence right there, that they'll end the night, put their, pit on the, their head on the pillow, knowing that Jesus is here. The Lord stood with me. Everybody else had abandoned me, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. I dare you, Christian, my brother, my sister, I dare you to pray this way. Lord, would you cause me to be strengthened with your spirit in my inner man so that I will perpetually be aware of your presence in my heart. And that I would, as he goes on to say, that I would be rooted and grounded in love. Now, I don't need, I'm not going to raise our hand and say, that's me, or give any kind of response, but ask this question. How many of you would say, I struggle? Even though I know I'm a Christian, I know if I die, I'd go to heaven. I struggle with knowing God loves me. I struggle with knowing God's love in my heart. The scripture will say we love because he first loved us. One of the big reasons why we can't love other people is because that's not happened. We've never experienced, felt, measurably known the love of God for us in our hearts. That's what I say to you. You're not going to get the felt Love of God in your heart just by memorizing all the verses on the love of God. You can read John 3.16, and you can hang on to that, for God so loved the world. You can receive the forgiveness of Christ for your sins, sensing in that sense. But Paul is talking here about the felt love of God. Not the head love of God, but the heartfelt love of God. So I say, well, why haven't I felt that? Here's the question. What is your relationship with the Holy Spirit of Jesus? Have you ever prayed, as Paul prayed here, gives us the instruction, Lord, I need for the Spirit of Jesus to make Jesus so real in my heart that I will know his love for me. Paul is saying, you can't reach out and take it on your own. This is something the Lord, by his Spirit, desires to do and will do to let you know that he loves you. Not just knowing your head, but knowing your heart. Now, look how he keeps going with this. That, that's an expression of the power. The power of God is seen in his death for us on the cross and the power being raised and his power being seated. But now he's talking about power working in our lives. And it's tied to the felt love of God, the sense of the presence of Jesus and the felt love of Jesus in your heart. Not academic, not a, not a thought process, but a feeling, an emotion. You say, oh, Preston, I don't like that emotional stuff. Well, you better get over it, brother, sister. Jesus didn't come die just to die for your brain or your body. He came to die for your soul. Soul is mind, emotions, and will. And all this work about the Spirit is about the Lord by His power 
doing some things within us so that from the emotional part of us, the want-to part of us, we are being changed. We are desiring more of Him because He's putting that emotion inside us. And the greatest emotion, Paul will say in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I'm just, I'm, I feel like as I'm speaking to many in the church today, that there can be a sense of frustration as to why don't I know that God loves me? I, I believe in the fact of his death for me and his burial and resurrection, but why don't I feel his love for me? What if the answer could be is that there has been an ignoring of the role of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in your life to give that to you, to show you that. That's why Jesus was saying in Luke 11, 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? Many givings, a flow of the river of life, fountains of living water. It's not just one time here, a crisis thing here, and maybe something way out in the future. It's to be the continuous evidence of the abiding presence of Jesus by his Spirit, refreshing, restoring, reassuring, causing us to know that he's loving us, he's caring for us, he's here, we're not alone, we've not been rejected or abandoned by the one most important in the universe. To hear those words and to feel that in your heart can be two totally different things. And I, I'm concerned that the church in America has heard the words and thinking that just by hearing the words, that's all we're supposed to expect. That is not all that we're supposed to expect. That as we hear the words, that should evoke a cry in our heart, Lord, do that in me. I struggle with knowing that you love me. I struggle with knowing that you've forgiven me and that your, your love is what will never cease. And, and Lord, I, I, can't, I can't make myself do it. The honesty is, I can't make myself do it. But if you're saying here that that's something your spirit, the spirit of Jesus could do inside me, then I want it. Do this in here. Lord, I'm asking you to do this in here. I'm just giving you back your words and I'm giving to you my empty and needy heart. Please, Lord, do this in here. Folks, if you'll just pray that way, if you'll be praying the first prayer in Ephesians and reading back out to the Lord, the second prayer in Ephesians 3, and just give the words back to the Lord. He, he, it's his will to do it. It's his heart to do it. The only thing that can cause us not to experience it is that we, we don't think we need it. We've got the copies of the Scripture. Why do we need now the Holy Spirit to show us these things? We can read these words on a page, but experience them, it's sad to say. Experiencing these words can be far from it. So, so look, at, look at how he continues. Now, I've got to stop here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. We're rooted and grounded in love. He shows us freshly how much he loved us for him to have died for us and suffered for us. We're rooted and grounded in his love. But then there's this expression, this dimension of the breadth and length and height and depth. What's he talking about? It seems as if the context is somebody just getting lost in the sea of the love of God. That there's no top to it, there's no bottom to it, there's no east, there's no west, that I'm lost in a sea of the love of God. Folks, listen, we love because he first loves us. If we're having a hard time loving people, it can very much be because we've lost sense of the Lord's love for us. But when there is the sense of the Lord's love for us, and we are in this sense lost in the sea of his love, and realizing what it has taken him to stay sufficient and consistent in his love for me, then from that place can flow the ability to release and let go and, and pray for and try to help and try to hope. But if I don't know that God loves me, I'm going to have a dickens of a time loving somebody else. It's just the way it works. If I'm battling with his love for me, I will be struggling with the ability to love others in many cases. So the answer we find here that we may know 
the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It's interesting that Paul writes here the fullness of God. He, 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 he qualifies the fullness of God. He could use just. He could use righteous. He could use merciful. But he uses the word love. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God as expressed in your bearing in your spirit and in your heart. His love for you and his love for the world. Be filled up to all the fullness of God. He didn't say it's filled up to all the fullness of God when you're preaching, when you're writing, when you're doing whatever it may be, but it's when you're walking with the sense that he loves you. When he didn't have to, when I did so many things that could, I could turn his love from me away, but by his spirit, by his spirit, by his spirit, he wants us to know and to live in the sense of his love, but also to sense his presence, that he's with us. For, for, for Paul to say, but the Lord stood with me. It wasn't as if he had lived all those months and years of his life without the sense of the Lord. This was just saying that when everybody else had abandoned me, I knew the Lord still hadn't abandoned me. And David says, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence. Well, where were you, David? Where were you? I was out in the field. I was in the field of battle. I was administrating this. I was having to deal with those people. All of it. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, if you write this off as, well, that was David, and that was Paul, and I'm me, then, then fine, fine. Just absent yourself of the opportunity to access this place of power and provision. But I feel like there are many of us, there are many of us out there who would hear this and say, oh, Lord, by the work of your Spirit, open my eyes. By the work of your Spirit, Remind me, refresh in me the hope of your calling of me. By the work and power of your Spirit, make it clear again. Show me, give me ability. See even further the dimension of your power toward me through Christ's death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, and his exalted position. Lord, open my eyes to the expression of your power toward me. And then, Lord, I'm asking you by your Spirit, by your spirit to strengthen me in my inner man, in my own spirit, so that Jesus Christ will dwell, will be at home, will go in and out, will live there in my heart, and that I would be rooted and grounded. The manifesting of the presence of Jesus will be the fresh flow of his love for you in your heart. That in and of itself ought to be enough for us to say, well, Lord, I don't know that I've ever really been filled with your spirit in that way but I'm asking you to fill me. I'm asking for your spirit to fill me such that I can know your presence and I can walk in your love. I want you to pray with me, please. And I just, I'm, it's in my heart to just pray. And if you're, if you're sitting there listening to this, wherever you may be, and you can just open your hands and something about this has seemed to resonate with, with, Lord, I need that, I want that. Lord, I'm praying this for myself. I'm praying this for my brothers and sisters that you will open the heavens, you'll pour out of your heart your wonderful spirit into our hearts, Lord, that you would give to us your spirit of wisdom and revelation in understanding you and understanding the hope of our calling and the work of your power. And then, Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to do such a work in us that there is the, there is the sense that, that you're right here, that your presence is right here, that you are, are abiding with me, and that as that happens, that your love rises up, comforting, encouraging, granting strength and boldness. Oh, Lord, that statement, that statement from the very beginning, that you've got to see something and feel something before you will be and do anything unusual. Lord, we need that, and we want there to be the unusual expression of your life through us. 
by your spirit, by your spirit. My brothers and my sisters, if you will just, as a child of God, if you'll just make as a regular part of your prayer throughout the day, Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. These things that he offers by way of the filling of his spirit, he honors when we realize where the source truly is. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. If, if, there, is a, if there is a prayer request, something going on in your life that's, that's, that's beyond what you would know to do to handle, we just really have felt and we've gotten such a wonderful flow of responses in. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. You just take the, enough time. doesn't have to be a long thing, but just enough for our intercessors to be able to pray with intelligence what the need is, what the issue is, and with, with your commitment that if you let us know what the, what the need is and we begin to pray that when God brings the breakthrough, when something is, is done out there, that you will also let us know. But you can do that right now as soon as we finish. Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. We want to pray. We have a wonderful group of intercessors that are committed. I will see them but I, I share them with our intercessors knowing that they will divide these up and spend quality time in praying. We count that as an honor. Count that a privilege. If you'll just let us know how we can pray for you. And bless you for continuing your faithful support financially and through your prayers of the ministry here at Alamo City. God is blessing us and humbling us with, with the dimension to which these, these, we hope, words of hope are, are going out um, across the country. Bless you. God bless you. May you know the hope of his calling by the power of his spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Walker. Lord, by your spirit, fill me. Share and spread this, and thank you for spending.